back to the Deferred Action Podcast. If you like the intro music, it's brought to you by Jay Slay, a documented DJ and music producer. Uh, we'll be sure to link his Instagram page in the show notes. Uh, this episode, we speak to Miss Nelly Gonzalez. Nelly was born in the great city of León, Guanajuato, Mexico. She was brought to the United States at a young age of five years old and lives in Virginia. She's currently a student at Virginia Commonwealth University working on her bachelor's in international business. Nelly is an entrepreneur and a philanthropist. She's actually starting a nonprofit called One Day, and One Day is dedicated to empowering and educating people of different backgrounds to live a life of kindness. You know, what's better than that? Please enjoy this fun, wide-ranging conversation with Nelly Gonzalez. All right, icebreaker. Yes. What did you have for breakfast this morning, Nelly? I had four eggs. So I'm on like a really strict diet right now. So I'm eating four, two eggs, two egg whites, um, English muffin, and one tablespoon of cream cheese. Nice. Dang, that's what kind of diet is that? So I'm doing a, fa- a pageant next year, and I'm prepping for it. Um, so my personal trainer has got me like on this really, really strict diet. Okay. What what pageant are you doing? Ms. Latina. So I Which won't, one? I will, oh, sorry. Um, so I won't stay title for Ms. Virginia Latina. Wow. Now we're doing nationals next year. It got pushed back to next year. It was supposed to be next month, um, mm-hmm. but it got pushed back to next year. So that's awesome. Well, congrats. Um, you know, I, I had no idea. Like I, when, as soon as you said pageant, my eyes like lit up, um, Hugo Sami because I, I did pageants for a while and I was actually miss, uh, I was former miss Columbia here in Houston and I did, um, yeah, I did my fair share of pageants and now I actually, um, I train, I help train girls, um, when they're going through a pageant and like help them prepare for like the interview process and all the, the walk and the stage presence. So I'm so glad we have something in common. That's something that we will definitely talk about your pageantry. Yeah. And pass me all the tips. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) ma'am. So Nelly, um, we'd like to start with this question, you know, um, who is Nelly Gonzalez today? Who is she today? Um, She's a mixture of things. She's a mess, but uh, she is uh, very loud, um, very Mexican. Uh, She's very passionate about what she does. Um, She decides to see the good in people, um, despite all the the craziness in the world. I believe in um, the power of love and the power of kindness overall. Um, I believe in falling in love with yourself and the world before anything else ever um so you know once you find that internal love you're gonna see everything with love so working on yourself making sure your inside is it's healthy um and you're gonna transmit that over outside um she is somebody who is constantly on the go um and she has a a very dry sense of humor, I would say. <laughs> Where did you think start thinking about uh, the idea of loving yourself first before loving anything else? Oh, you hit that one. 
Um, so, you know, actually my journey of self-love was just recently. Um, I have gone through a lot of hurdles along um, the way. And I've been through a lot of things that were very traumatizing through sexual assault, human trafficking, um, just just a lot of things that I was exposed to. Um, my immigration story, how it affected my family, and all of that kind of just traumatized me. And I lived in a, a life where I bottled everything up. And I just kind of said, like, even if I'm not good, I'm good. I always felt like I had to have this really strong um, attitude that, like, I got it and nothing can face me. Um, but it wasn't until I started dating this guy that he was like, you know, you're you're damaged and you have to seek help and you have to open up and start healing inside. So um, I started going through therapy. I started um, really letting myself feel and letting myself go through the journey of um, healing. And that journey was very, very life changing. Um, just kind of mess you know it was crazy because before I started my whole therapy and my journey of healing I didn't have feelings like it's crazy crazy to say but I was so numb from all the pain and the trauma that I had gone through that I didn't have feelings so you know my therapist and I worked on actually letting myself feel and letting that be okay so um Going through that and, and understanding what feelings were and how to deal with them um, came anxiety. And then for that came depression. So that was another um, process of life that I, I didn't even know how to handle. Um, but I had a great guide. I, and my, my therapist was, was amazing. She was very patient. Um, so it was a lot of ups and downs throughout the whole process where I've learned, you know, like it's okay to be sad and it's okay when you're, when you're down and when you're feeling like the world is crumbling up on you and you just want to crawl up, it's okay. Like it's okay to cry it out, but you know, tomorrow's the next day and healing comes, it's not linear. So it has its uh, good days. It has its bad days. Um, so allowing myself to feel what's like the, the first thing about, self-love um, and being gentle with my feelings and letting myself um, feel whatever I wanted to feel. So then after that came the process of accepting who I was and learning that, you know, like I have to love myself um, before I'm able to love anybody else in my life. Um, the relationship that I was in after three years ended and that left me completely broken because it was like that one person I depending happiness on. And that made me understand that, like, I can't depend my happiness on anybody else besides myself um, or else, you know, I'm never going to be happy. So I have to learn how to be my own company, be my own um, cheerleader through life. And from there, it's just it was a learning experience about, you know, learning to love myself and accepting myself and being happy with what I've already accomplished and just being proud of myself. I think the Hispanic culture also has been very hard on us. And, you know, we grew up with the culture like you got to do more. You got to do mm -hmm. more. And we have to learn how to appreciate the little victories in life. So I've learned to, like, not let that affect me anymore and just be proud of every step that I take. So I think that's really where where my self-love came. And now, you know, I'm Today, I feel like I, I'm happy on my own. So it, it's been a big accomplishment. You you sound strong. 
Well, thank you. You sound so strong and um, I'm really impressed, you know, and, and I really appreciate you detailing that because a lot of people are going to, are going to hear what you just said, Nelly, and, and they're going to want to take the same step to try to become mentally strong. Um, and so that's, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So we want to go from, from, you know, the beginning and, uh, I guess where are you, where are you from? Um, if you could tell all the listeners about, uh, Guanajuato. <laughs> so the, uh, Leon Guanajuato, um, and we are known for mummies. We have, a a museum of mummies we are known <laughs> yeah it's crazy because it's legit it's i went a couple of years back when i had advanced parole and it was it was i was like are these really real mummies or what are these um we're known for our our calzado so all we're international for our um shoes and everything that's um made from like apparel out of um exotic skin animal animal mm -hmm. um we're known for that. We're known for our soccer team, of course. Leon. Yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> Arriba Leon. And it's funny because I, I, um, I'm I, passionate about soccer, so I'm pretty split when it comes to Leon in America because my, my grandpa is like a big Americanista. And I'm yeah. like a huge Leon fan, so I have to support both sides. So I no, that's... there you go <laughs> well that's good you know leon usually doesn't get a chance to play in the states so um, americanista is kind of i guess what you've been able to tap in have you been to a, a game in the states for either leon or, or america yes i've been to a couple of leon games never an america game but definitely leon um and of course i i love to see mexico play uh it's I always tell my friends, like, you you guys got to experience a Mexican game. We get wild. <laughs> you know what's crazy about Mexico games? And I know, Dana, you probably relate with Colombia games. There's this weird, like, crazy me that comes out whenever Mexico's playing that's like, come on, Rafa Marquez, make a right pass, you know? <laughs> right. No, our craziness definitely comes out. It really does. So how long did you live in um, in Leon? Um, I was there until I was five years old. Um, and I started my journey here in the U.S. when I was five years old. Um, and it's crazy because I do remember a lot of things from over there. Hmm. Yeah. What, what was the journey to get to the U.S.? And I mean, what, why did your family decide to, to chase the American dream? So my dad... Um, migrated here before us about a year and a half before we migrated um times were hard um and my dad felt the need that um he had to do what he had to do and come and chase the american dream he came um and the plan was he was just gonna stay here and we were gonna live in mexico and eventually he was gonna come back um we my mom and i applied for a visa and we got accepted. It's funny because I remember that whole process, like being in the in those offices, the immigration offices and going through the process of everything of flying here. Um, I remember it all. So, yeah, we came here when we were when I was five, uh, a year after my dad came and um, we ha we came through a visa and we just kind of overstated. My dad thought it was a good he didn't want to do the whole separation again. Um, 
being away from your family is hard. So, you know, it's something that he didn't want to go through anymore. So he's, he convinced my mom for us to stay and we overstayed our visa. So that's how our journey started. Yeah, that that's uh, my journey as well. And that yeah, that's too. my same journey too. I left uh, Colombia at the age of five years old too. Um, and we, we came here with the visa and we uh, overstayed our visa. Um, but I, it's, I mean, it's funny how you, you're saying that you remember a lot of things and I like, I don't know, I guess that was like a very, I guess that was like my traumatic moment in life where I kind of like blocked everything. Um, so I don't really like remember anything about like the process or, you know, even like the first few years that I was here in the, uh, in the U S I, I hardly remember things because, you know, I was going through like a big cultural change and, mm-hmm. you know, you would think at five, like, oh, they're not going to notice, but you know, kids really at that age do get a st- start getting affected with little things like a big move, uh, from moving from a different country to another country. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely a thing. The cultural shock was it was huge for me too. Where did you settle in the U.S. when you arrived? Here in uh, Richmond. I've been a Richmonder most of my life. Yeah. R- Richmond, Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, Richmond, Virginia. What's Richmond, Virginia like as a young uh, Mexican girl? Um, it it has its goods and it has its bads. Um, I would say that Richmond is pretty, pretty diverse, um, for the most part. Um, I know a lot of people see Virginia as like, oh, a lot of like, you know, racist people there, but, um, sorry. Um, but there's actually a lot of diversity here, especially more in the city. Um, there's people who are constantly advocating and being activists, so, at first, it was definitely a cultural shock, but it wasn't as traumatic because I saw kids, you know, other little Spanish kids, and I did see other um, black kids. So it was it was funny because I never had never seen a like a um, an Afro before until I came here, and I was like, "What is that?" But they couldn't understand me, so I was like, "Let me touch it." Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but it was it was. Um, it wasn't that much of a shock, but it was definitely still a shock. Was your school uh, predominantly um, white, or did you have a good mix of um, minorities and culture? Um, it was definitely more. It was very diverse. Like I said, um, it was. It was. There was where I grew up is was more of like the like the south side, like the more like the poor side of Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot of minorities there. Um, which I'm honestly like, I'm blessed that God put me through that path instead of making me go to like a predominantly white school, because I feel like that would have been very traumatic for me. Um, But, you know, I did go to a school where it was a lot of um, different cultures and there was a lot of Spanish kids because it was a poor side of the, um, the city. So yeah, it was, it was mostly like Spanish kids and black kids for the most part. Mm-hmm. Nelly, who was the first American that made you feel normal and uh, and and just you? The first American. Um her name it's funny, and we're we're kinda god sisters now. Um her name is Selena, and there's another girl named Gabby. Uh those two girls as like I still it's crazy how much 
I do remember. Um, but the when I was new, very, very new, um, I remember I had to go to a restroom. And I didn't know how to say it. I didn't know how to say to go to a restroom. And plus, I was like, really, really shy. And I was really panicking. And I remember Selena came over. And she was like, hey, um, and started talking to me. And then I, I ended up peeing myself. I did. But <laughs> I still didn't go to the restroom. <laughs> but, um, I, having her there made me feel a little bit of more comfort, too. You know, like, even though I did have this embarrassing and very traumatic experience where not being able to go to the bathroom um, was, you know, embarrassing and it was affecting me. But still, I had some kind of comfort knowing that someone can understand me. So, no, being there, being in that class, and going through a lot that first week that I was enrolled in um, elementary school and having somebody to understand me and say, like, I can translate for you, um, was was the first person that would say made me not made me feel American, but made me feel like I was going to be okay and that I was okay to be there. When was the um, you know what? Throughout like our like my high school experience and you know throughout actually my whole education here in the U.S., I never really um, told anyone that I was undocumented. Um, you know, people would just assume that I you know they knew that I was uh, born in a different country and I just came here to live here, but I was leaving here legal. Um, but I, I was like so scared to tell people that I didn't have any papers. What um, did you like throughout your high school? Did you kept that a secret or? Was there like a time where um, you decided to come out and say, you know, I'm undocumented? Yes. So um, for the most part, I I kind of kept it to myself because I didn't truly understand what it meant. Um, I think that like throughout the years, I just felt so American because, you know, yeah. like I was living a normal life just like everybody else, just like my friends. And I, throughout school, I was um, constantly involved with different organizations and um, clubs. And um, I was in a, um, AP classes and I was, I applied for the IB program. So I was just very involved with school that it, it never crossed my mind that I was different or that I, you know, that my opportunities were limited because in that circle of like school, I didn't feel like there was limits. I felt like I could do whatever I could be in whatever club I wanted to. Um, and my school is pretty diverse, like I said, that there too. Um, so I just always felt like I fit. I, I was able to fit in. It wasn't until um, it was time to apply for college that I was like, my, you know, my mom had to sit me down and say, like, this is your reality. And this is what it is. And it's not only you, but it's also your dad. It's also me. Like it's, it's more than you. Um, so that's really where, where I understood that I was different than, you know, a lot of my friends who were applying for college and, um, a lot of people, I, I was taking, um, AP classes and dual Roman classes. And, um, my friends were like, did you pay for your classes or like, did you pay for the exam so you can have those credits transfer? And it's like, I, I couldn't like, you know, like, explaining to them like no I'm not taking the exam because um I I don't think I'm going to college and then having to explain why I'm not going to college was a different thing too um that's really when I started talking a little bit more about my situation but I just you know it was it was I felt like I was embarrassed of myself 
Um, I was embarrassed of my situation. Um, my dad actually ended up getting detained by ICE. Um, so having to go with that it brought a little bit more of insecurity because it was like something I never lived through before. So it was all kind of hitting like my mom having this conversation with me and like me not applying for college anymore. Um, like I thought I would. And then um, having my dad be detained by ice, like all of that was just like, wow, I really am like different. And I don't have these opportunities that I thought I did. Um, so that's really when I started speaking out, but it wasn't, me speaking out it was just more like me confessing to my closest friends that that i was undocumented did you uh one of the things dana and i talked about in the first uh episode was you know feeling a little bit of resentment against uh our parents you know for because you know you, you don't understand the sacrifice and sometimes it's hard to understand when you're young did you ever feel any resentment towards your parents at that moment you know when when the ap classes and stuff started coming up um i'd have to confess that at first yes because it was such a shock and it was such a change that like i went from thinking i was going to go to college and that i had all these dreams just like my friends and talking to them about my dreams that all of a sudden like that was taken away from me and that no i'm like you know, I was living in the shadows and I was like, what is the purpose of me being here then? What is the purpose of everything that we did to come here for what? And, you know, I did, I go through a, a rebellious phase and that's really where I started my resentment, but I don't think it lasted long because I see my dad um, be detained by ICE and, you know, visiting him, visiting him at the jail and um, going through that process made me realize like, wow, like they sacrificed so much for them. It's not fair for me to have these feelings. And it's not fair for me to judge them because, you know, they only wanted the best for me. And I, I shouldn't, I should never punish or think bad about my parents for something that they wanted for me. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, wow. Who, who are your parents, you know, and what, what did they do, you know, when they arrived in the States, kind of what, what was their progression, um, in, in terms of immigrants? Um, they, my dad came here and his cousin was here. So he was, um, working with his cousin in construction. Um, and he started learning different traits, um, he now owns a business, um, his own business, and he's running it. Um, he's learned a lot, you know, like no one ever taught him how to run a business. Like he never went to college. He never went to any of that. But, you know, he didn't even know English when he came. Um, so there was a lot of things that he was learning along the way. So I'm really proud of the person that he is today, um, learning to deal with, you know, difficult situations and learning the business aspect of it and learning the trade and learning how to negotiate and learning how to talk to um, people here. And like, you know, especially in business and in, in construction, um, men can be rough. So, you know, my dad was oh, yeah. not knowing clear English and not knowing how to run a business. Um, you know, he did go through a lot. He people did take advantage of him, but 
Um, he still remained very strong and he kept pushing and he's given us, uh, you know, like me and my siblings, everything that we could have asked for. Um, my mom has been my dad's right hand. So she does a lot of uh, the administrative work for him. And she's been a stay-at-home mom, just kind of looking after all of us. That's beautiful. So they, they're a team, you know, yeah. and they've been a team through it the whole way. Mm -hmm. I would consider my whole family to be a team. Um, you know, like even me now running this nonprofit, um, my mom constantly reminds me every day, like, we're here to back you up. Hmm. Are you, do you have any siblings? Yes, I do. I have three siblings. So I'm the oldest of um, us four. It, I have two sisters and I have yeah. one brother. Um, are any of your um, sisters or your brother, were they born here or are they in the same situation as you are with DACA? No, I'm the only DACA in my family. Okay. Yeah, they're all, they were all born here. Um, what, what kind of pressure, or I guess maybe not what kind, but can you tell us, because I, I know um, I'm the eldest of five mm -hmm. brothers and being the eldest, you know, you almost have to put it on you to, to, to figure out, you know, what the best direction is for your brothers and kind of steer them and guide them. Can you tell us about that pressure? Oh, yes. Uh, I make a joke about how, like, I'm a second mom to them. And my mom's like, yeah, right. Like, you didn't give birth to them. Um, but it's like, I am a second mom, really. Um, after my mom, it's me. Of course, it's my dad. But, you know, me being the oldest, I have to take more of a responsibility because my dad has a lot on his plate trying to um, make sure that, you know, we're good and working for us. Um, but um, at first, when I started my whole, you know, going to college and even like applying for community college, like none of that was taught to me. None of that. Um, no one showed me the guide of like, you know, how to live life after high school and what you have to do, get a job, what, you know, even the simplest thing with like was getting a driver's license. Like I was like, what is that? Like, how do you do that? Or, you know, um, applying for college, like how do you apply to college? What do I have to present? Like, what is this paperwork doing my taxes? All those things in life that, you know, you have to do on your own. I didn't I didn't have somebody teach me that because my parents didn't know how to um, do it themselves. So I had to learn on my own, um, learning about taking all the opportunities in, understanding that, you know, we came to America, which is full of dreams and opportunities and taking advantage of those opportunities, not just kind of waiting for an opportunity to get here. Um, that was my biggest thing. Like, you know, I at first I thought that like opportunities would present themselves um, because that's the idea that I had about America, that it was just it was just going to be given to me. Um, but I learned quick after high school that, you know, you have to go out and get it. So, um, you know, going through that myself and there's a lot of, you know, like mistakes that I did along the way that I didn't want my siblings to do that. So now um being the oldest and now like for them that they're getting their driver's license. And now that my sister's about to apply to school or for college and walking them through the, those steps that they need and making sure like, all right, don't do this, making sure their grades are good, making sure that they're doing extracurricular activities and understanding that like you have to do volunteer work if you want to get to a good college and just the little things that weren't taught to me. 
is and that I had to learn on my own is how I've been teaching them um, and making them see um, a world bigger than just the high school has been my biggest lessons to them. Because it's like, you yeah. know, sometimes you, you think that like your whole world is in um, just in your within your high school or within your city. But I constantly remind me like it's a it's a big world out there and don't don't limit yourself. You you have there's so many opportunities, so many things. So expand your wings and um, live life and learn about life. And um, I tell her, like, if you don't want to go to college here, you don't have to. So that's what my siblings have been learning and just kind of taking on responsibilities, too, and teaching them that about like, you know, how family comes first too it's bittersweet to be the guinea pig (laughs) oh yeah yeah it's a lot of hard work too yeah i mean especially like with us being the oldest and you know i have a younger sister too so our parents like you know they didn't grow up here they don't know how the system works over here you know so you kind of do become like that second parent to them because Obviously, like, you know, they didn't, my parents did not apply for college here. They don't know how, like, what to, like, what's tuition. They don't know how to apply for that. So it's like, we, we have to, you know, mm-hmm. even though we're learning, we learned by ourselves, we still have to, you know, help our brothers and sisters um, go through this process too, because unfortunately our parents didn't get to live through that. Um, so they're kind of clueless in that area. Yeah. Nelly, in that same vein, you know, there's this consistent pressure. I don't, I don't know if you felt this as well. And you did mention your dad in the ICE proceedings, right? Mm-hmm. Every day, even today, you know, and that's why I have such mutual respect for you and Dana. Every day, uh, you know, I, I wake up to the fact that something could happen to my dad and then I have to be the dad, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And having those conversations with the with your family and um yeah it's a very scary feeling because it's like yeah like you know what the protection towards our parents you know there is none so if we were to happen anything were to happen to our parents like that's where we step in and um take full responsibility and i think it's important for every parent and every family to have those type of conversations as you know as scary as it may seem um just to prep ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Because I mean, sometimes like some parents, unfortunately, don't have that conversation with their children and something does happen. And then I've seen cases where the children are like, wait, why is why are you guys, you know, detaining my mom and dad like they live here and then you find out like oh my gosh like they're not from here. So it's important. I definitely like I always encourage families to talk about it together because you know, it might, it might be hard at first, but, you know, we live in a world right now where, you know, you can go outside and you can get stopped for anything. Um, like you're not even doing anything illegal. You know, you can get stopped for not turning on your blinker or having a light messed up. That happened to my mom. She wasn't driving, you know, like she was just driving like a normal citizen and she didn't, um, her light, her, her blinker on the back of the car wasn't working and the cop stopped her and she didn't have a driver's license. So, you know, it's important to have this conversation because you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Especially in the world that we're living on right now where, you know, people are racist and it's showing now, uh, you, you, there's, we got to take those extra precautions, unfortunately. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, we have to ask uh, because it is a DACA podcast. Where, where were you? What did you feel? How did you feel whenever President Obama announced DACA? And, and where does that fall in the time frame of, you know, what we've been discussing, you know, your high school life and your, your, uh, your you know, education? Uh, so it came out my junior year of high school. Um, right when everything was going on with my dad, everything going on with, um, with my mom having those conversations with me and me not being able to apply for college. So it was kind of like, I was so mad at, at the world. And then it was just like a piece of light. And I, I felt like it was hope. And it was a restart of a life. Like, you know, like, I, there was a, it was like a button that I pushed where like, my whole life restarted and there was opportunity. Now there was hope there was, there was a future. So it was a, a, it was a time in my life where it was like going through a lot of sadness to like hope being hopeful. And I think that's really what like really stuck to me after that is because it was that switch. It was that switch of like going through such a dark time to like such a light. And now, like, I, that's how I see everything. Like, you know, like, there's always that little bit of hope. Absolutely. N- Nelly had the exact same experience. And it was the end of junior year and, you know, going right into the summer, you know, before. Uh, and I-, I hadn't taken my SAT because for the longest time I thought, you know, I'm going back to Chihuahua <laughs> to go to school and and study there. And so then I, I took the SAT on a whim and it went well. You know, what, what experience did you have trying to navigate the college application process after you found out? Well, I didn't even take my the SATs. Like I didn't take my AP classes, nothing, or my AP, um, my exams. And then I applied for the IB program and I was accepted into the IB program. I was going through that process of of um, transferring over and I was just like for what for why am I putting myself through a lot of this when I don't I don't have a future so I I made the mistake of not following through because I just had lost all hope I just didn't think I was gonna gain anything out of it and I was just gonna waste money so now like looking back at it like you know it's I regret so much I read so much because like those are classes I could have taken in college, you know? So um, that's really where, where my lessons to my siblings also come in. Like, you know, always take that, um, that leap of faith because you never know what could happen after that. So I didn't even bother taking my, my ACTs or um, any, any exams. And then after high school, I went straight to community college um, because I couldn't afford, you know, everything we do is, it's out of pocket. We pay, uh, I pay my, pay my full tuition out of pocket. So, um, I couldn't afford going to a four year university, university. I had to go to a, co- a community college first. I, w- I wish I would have done that. And I agree with you. I, I had the same regrets. Sometimes I wonder if I would have just Cause it's funny now it's crazy. Like how it's almost like a slap in the face. Like all these great schools and universities like Stanford, Harvard, uh, they all organized a rule that if your family makes under $40,000, you get in for free. If you can get in your tuition's covered. And, and I, 
I should have just stuck to to the grades and and put my head down. But I had that same sort of like, uh, what what's the point of all this? You know, mm-hmm. so I, I can I can totally understand that. And how how did you wind up paying for for college, Nelly? Um, for community college or where I'm at now? Um, for both. For both. Yeah. yeah. So I after you know I I was able to go to college. Um, I was like. I was so excited again, um, and I regained all my energies and motivation. And I, I mean, I didn't know what to do, so I just went straight to the college. And I was like, "How do I apply?" <laughs> and they were like, "Well, you gotta, you know, go to." They showed me the steps. Um, they, I tried to do financial aid, and then that's where I learned, like, no, we don't get financial aid. You guys don't get financial aid. And back then, no one knew about DACA. No one knew how yeah. to handle it. So it was just kind of like a lot of back and forth, like. You got to do this. You got to do that until we were finally able to get it straight. Um, and then, then I helped other people around me. Like, okay, you got to do this. You got to do that. But um, yeah, it was definitely a, a very stressful process just because no one can really knew how to help me, but they tried. Um, so it was a it was it was a pain in the butt, but um, I was able to get in. Um, and then you know because I didn't get any, any financial help, everything was paid out of pocket. So in taking, you know, two, three classes, you know, it's a lot of money, even at a community college. So, and I had no um, work experience. I was fresh out of high school, like, you know, not making enough money. Um, So I was bartending, not bartending, I was uh, serving and um, I was working there full time. So I was there all day every day then after that it was I was still wasn't making enough so I had to get a second job um at one point I was working three jobs and we're going to school full-time um so yeah I I barely slept it was it was a very unhealthy phase in my life or or stage in my life where I I really wouldn't ever go back to um but yeah it was it was stressful because again I didn't know how to budget I didn't know how to pay for school or what are ways to save and be able to financially afford it. Yeah. And And I know a lot of people um, think nowadays that, you know, it's so easy for us to get financial help or help from the government, but it's not, um, you know, I as well, like I tried, you know, applied for financial aid and I, I think I applied like three times and every single time they would always turn me away And, you know, it's, you know, all of the college, you know, I recently just graduated um, and, you know, I graduated debt free. I paid everything out of pocket. And that was actually one of the reasons why I started to do pageants, because, you know, the first pageant that I did, you know, the winner received a scholarship. And, you know, at first I was like, I am not, you know, I'm not pageant material. Like I've never done something. I was not interested. I, I just thought, you know, pageant girls are just not smart. All they are is just a pretty <laughs> face and that's not who I am. But um, once I heard that they were giving away a scholarship, I was like, you know what? I, I do need the money. So let's do it. I did it. I ended up winning that first pageant. And, you know, from there on, I saw the opportunities of being able to, you know, pay off my college through doing pageants and, you know, through the opportunity. I mean, pageants opened up the door for me and that brings me to my uh, question that I wanted to ask you. What made you um, want to start doing pageants? And what was your uh, platform during your, um, 
your time while you were in pageant and when you won uh was it miss virginia latina yeah yeah okay and and i you know it's funny because i i did a couple of them uh years back and that was because my mom made me Mm -hmm. (laughs) i I hate this Mm -hmm. i hate this you know like i yeah when once you're new and you don't have a an idea or a guide in the pageant world it's very intimidating and a lot of you know a lot of self-doubt and insecurities come out because you're looking at other girls and you're like oh my god um and a lot of pressure so I hated it I was like this is not meant for me um within the years um I've regained that um that confidence and like that security in myself like okay like you know I, all these people have these great things, but I do too. So it wasn't until recently that my friend has, she does bodybuilding and she's like, Nellie, getting on stage and like challenging yourself is one of the best feelings in the world. Because even if you don't, even if you don't necessarily win, just proving it to yourself. Um, so she was like, come on, you can do it. Like, you know, and I had talked to her about like possibly doing it because of the scholarship so it's funny how you mentioned that because that is my the reason why I decided to do this um because of the scholarship and we don't have DACA's don't have many options when it comes to scholarships so I saw this as an opportunity so I was like why not um so she's been pushing me and pushing me and she's like girl I will I will help you um I will be your personal trainer I will tell your meals um, but you have to do the work. So I'm I'm doing this to challenge not only myself, um, but to motivate people around me too. And more than anything, I'm going for that scholarship. But my mom has told me like, you know, like if you're doing this pageant, don't look, don't go in thinking you're going to win and don't secure the bag already. <laughs> um, you have to give yourself that mentality that you're going to give it your all. And that's your challenge. That's really where... Mm, where I'm going for to, um, I want to give it my all and to improve myself and every, because the pa- people think a pageant is just like a runway or like, you know, you're whoever's prettiest, but there's a lot that goes into a run uh, yeah. or pageant. There's like, you know, they're um, from physical work to mental work and uh, discipline. And um, it's, it sucks right now because, because I'm on this diet and even people right, right now around me, my team, I'm with my team and they're eating, Sour Patch Kids, and I'm watching them eat like all these snack Doritos, and I work always bringing in donuts, and I have to be like, you know, I can't. Yeah. So it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of motivation. I have a very busy schedule, so making the time to even meal prep. Um, so those things are really what I'm I'm doing it for, um, for self growth, uh, discipline, and and whatever comes from that is just a plus. Mm-hmm, yeah. No, I mean, I definitely agree with you on that. I think like last time I was explaining to Ugo cause he had like no idea what beauty pageants were. And I was like, you know, it's not just about going up there and like walking in a bikini. Like you actually like, you know, the majority of pageants, the, what they uh, qualify you most is by your interview. You know, you do mm-hmm. have like a one-on-one interview with just you and the judges a week before the pageant. And that's where they really get to know who you are and know you personal and ask you questions that, you know, either they, they can be deep questions or just regular questions, like personal questions, whatever. 
Um, so he was like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I mean, this is the, and I think, uh, pageantry has also been like a perfect, um, platform for us to be able to share about our story and like where we come from, mm-hmm. you know, cause many people, you know, they listen and they support us. And then once you have that platform, it's, you know, it's pretty much a given that you, you need to kind of, kind of come out and say who you are, um, mm-hmm. because you, you want to be in the, you want to be not just a model, but a role model to follow. Yeah. Um, so I think I thought for me, when I was doing pageant, I thought it was like the perfect time for me to kind of let go of like the old Dana, the one that used to be like, just try to fit in and let, and be more of my authentic self. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, I think that's where I, you were just talking about like self-love and in, in the beginning. And I think that's where I discovered like who I was and where I was able to, you know, be like, I love myself. You know, it's, it's, you know, you really do have to love yourself before you want, if you want to love someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And even like, especially being in that, the pageant world where there's so much competition Mm -hmm. and not giving yourself the strength to not compare. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, like everybody has their wonders and everybody has their great, but they also have their flaws and not Mm -hmm. comparing yourself to them. Yep. That's, that's one thing I always tell all my girls. I'm like, when I'm training them, I'm like, if you go, if you start comparing yourself to other girls, let me just tell you, you're not going to get, you're not going to go anywhere because I'm, I'm five, three. I I'm definitely not a size zero. Um, I had to wear like six inch heels to be tall. I was like, I was not your pageant material girl. And you know, I ended up winning the whole entire thing with girls who were competing, um, you know, for their second time. And it's, you know, it's about, you know, just being you and being authentic and not comparing yourself to anybody. Um, so thank you for sharing your story about pageantry. I know we had a little moment right here. Ugo's like, oh my gosh. You know, you know what? Sorry. Thank you for the education, ladies. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Nelly, you know, I want to ask you too, um, what are you studying? What are you, what are you uh, really interested in? I am studying international business. Um, I love to travel. I love to explore the world. Um, it's a big world out there. Um, and I love culture. So I that, I decided to go for international business because I also do love business and the structuring, the analyzing, the research. Um, so I, I was very fitting. Um, plus, it kind of came from my family. Um, I have a business background family. So my on has her master's in business and um so does my uncle so i just kind of followed those steps because i didn't have any other guide besides that um but i ended up loving it so i did decide that i i was going to do a double major in political science but i ended up just cutting it because um i was so involved with the community and doing um a lot of uh, policy work. Like I worked for the general assembly and, um, I volunteered with different, um, firms. So that kind of just gave me exposure and experience that I was like, I don't need to take on another degree to work in that field. So it was just, it was already hard enough to pay for one degree, you know? So I, I ended up just, um, cutting political science and just sticking to international management. Well, you sound like you're already enough of a badass to do politics, no problem. So. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that's that's gr- really great. And one of the things uh, you you really wanted to to talk about was um, 
you know, your project with One Day and the documentary. And I don't know, is your team in the room actually? Are they? Yeah, there? they're here. Make some noise. Can you, can you introduce them? Okay, Shout out to the team. The team. Uh, yeah, so I have my communi- communication and social media girl right here. Hello. Hi. Hello. What's up, guys? <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Bernardo. Um, he does. All, he's helping me with the structuring, strategizing, the finance side of um, the nonprofit. Hey, guys. Nice to meet y'all. Hi. It's nice to meet you, <laughs> So yeah, they're here. Um, our other staff, um, there was some miscommunication about meeting up today. <laughs> so, uh, okay. it's our, our production team, um, have two of our production is working and then the other one is running around somewhere. So, so Nelly, tell us, um, what made you decide to call this program one day? What was the meaning behind the name? Okay, here we go. Uh, <laughs> so one day, um, I've always said, one day I'm going to graduate. One day I'm going to do this. One day the world is going to be different. It was always that one day. And going back to this whole thing about having hope and how every DACA has changed my life for the better. And it gave me that hope. So it gave me that one day. Um so last year, I, I I saw these group of teachers that wanted to um, do care packages for kids at the border. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I've always been very big on the community and doing volunteer work. So when I saw that, I hopped on it. I was like, hey, like immigration is really important to me. I would love um, to help you guys in whatever you guys need. So they were like, they invited me over to with them to to be a part of the project to do these care packages. So then we decided to take all those care packages because we got an, a crazy amount of uh, donations. So we ended up taking all those donations um, and we drove three days. I drove that U-Haul three days uh, nonstop for like 12 hours um, a day to Texas. We got there and um, kind of seeing what these kids go through and learning the silence seeking process was life-changing for me because I thought I had a hard life, you know, like we constantly say like, oh, we're so focused on our own problems that we're so selfish to see other people's problems and what the world is going through. And that's part of, you know, why we are the way we are today. Um, if people would just be less selfish and more um, more caring to the world, they, they, you would see how blessed you truly are. Um, so just kind of seeing the whole asylum-seeking process, seeing learning about the uh, kids separating out from the border and that connection with all these people who are migrating for a better job made me realize like I had been so selfish and ungrateful for all the sacrifices that my parents did. And I, I was able to connect with a, a bunch of people there and learn the process. But there was this one girl, one little girl. And, and like a lot of the stories that it told me were were, in, were so heartbreaking. Um, One of the girls, it was her birthday, the day that I met her. And she's like, yeah, like I'm so happy to celebrate my life because two days ago, I was drowning on my way here and I didn't think I was oh. going to if it wasn't for my mom. 
Wow. And having a little eight-year-old tell you that, it's, it's, I was like, are you, wow. I, I, I remember that night I prayed and I, I asked God for forgiveness for being so ungrateful. Um, and it was not only that, it was, you know, hearing the stories from their journey here and why they did it. Uh, the father was telling me that he, he migrated because no one would um, pay ser- or give service to his son and his son was sick. They, he had, um, I think they were saying that he might have a tumor in his head um, and they were no, no doctor at his country was willing to help him and his son because they didn't have the funds for it. Um, it was just so many heartbreaking stories that you, it made me realize like, wow, like all these people coming here for the same reason we came here, hope, Mm -hmm. new opportunity, faith. So it it went back again to like that one day, like one day they're going to have that too. One day, everybody has their one day. So then, um, there was this little girl that I met specifically. Her name was Karen. So Karen, um, she was she was eight years old, but she looked like she was five. So I, you know, like learning about her, because um, we at first we thought she was a boy too. It was just that mm. little girl was so malnourished, and um, all these little kids are are sick to the stomach from their journey to yeah. uh, America. They got through a lot of bacteria. Um, a lot of traumatic experiences. So she, they were very quiet. They were full of rashes, very, very tiny. So it was, it took a lot for her to open up to me, but I saw something in that little girl that I, I just knew she was special. Um, I still don't know what it was about her, but I just know there's just something about this little girl that she is going to change the world one day too. Maybe, maybe you saw yourself in her Nelly. Maybe. I, it was, it was, she had, and I have her on my, um, on my phone and I, I don't, you know, I know she motivates me every day because she has these beautiful bright eyes and she looks up with such hope that I was like, wow. So, um, I spent a, um, a few days with her and she opened up to me. She started smiling cause I thought she wasn't smiling. Um, she was very serious, very, just very, um, standoffish and she opened up she started smiling and um we had we spent a lot of time together and it was we got attached really quick um but it was time for me you know like everybody so the silent seeking they were I, I was volunteering at the um settlement house so that's where they were and that's where they stayed before they got on the bus or wherever they were going to go to whoever was fostering them here in the u.s um and everybody was leaving except for her and her dad. And I asked her dad, like, do you not have anybody sponsoring you? Or do you not know where you're going to go? And he said, no, the person that was sponsoring me um, fell through. And now we don't have anywhere to go. So it's just, it was so heartbreaking to see her, see other little kids leave. And her just kind of knowing that she had nowhere to go. Um, and she's horrible. Yeah, it would, I, just, I would see her. And then after she would st- just stand there seeing uh, these other kids leave, she would turn back at me and see me and come and hug me. So it was just like a very uh, emotional feeling. And um, it, it was very, very life changing. So uh, within the time that we spent together, we, we grew. But there was a day where we had to leave, too, you know. 
and my they were telling us that we had to say bye so i was i've never been so heartbroken in my life to mm. have to leave her knowing that i wasn't going to see her anymore and not know about her anymore because there was no way to communicate like she her her and her dad didn't have a phone and i had to leave so um i gave her you know i gave her her talk like you know be good in school. You will go to school one day and you will do this and you're, you're going to do great. And you promise me you're going to do really, you're going to get good grades. And, and she was just listening to me with these really big watery eyes because she knew I was leaving. Um, and that was just the, the hardest thing I, one of the hardest things I ever had to do was leave her. So I, um, she just, I don't know. There was just a lot of, of her was like, one day I'm going to see you again. So I left wow. and I, as soon as I left, I was, I went to the, back to the U-Haul and I just cried and cried and cried. And I prayed like one day I, I see her again. And one day, I hope that one day comes when I see her again and she's, you know, like the freaking president or something, you know, like mm-hmm. for her to be so good in life and to be changing. And I know, I know deep in me that she is going to be a life changer. So, um, Right after that, too, I there's a song called One Day from Logic. And the song is talks about family separation. And that's the story that they tell in the video. So seeing the video and then the message was kind of saying, like, the message was about how um, one day everybody is going to succeed. And, you know, one day everything that you're working so hard for now is going to come true. So... Um, and the video kind of tells you a story of like this kid who was separating from their family and he was put into a foster care and he went to school and then he became a doctor and then he ended up being the doctor of a guy who, who was a racist. Um, oh. yeah, it was, it was really like, wow. So, um, that was just like, especially after everything that I had just gone through at the border and seeing that video, I was just like, wow, like one day one day everything this whole ice situation is not gonna it's not gonna be a thing one day we're gonna come together as a nation and and make things like better you know make life better um there's not gonna be wars in in this world anymore um just one day everything's just gonna be okay and everything that i've gone through myself and my parents have gone through one day it's gonna be all worth it and it's gonna pay off so it just speaks a lot about hope and um and, uh, you know, having faith. So then there's another uh, song called One Day, too. And it talks about world peace and kindness to the world. And basically, like, paying it forward. Like, you know, the kindness that you do will will be paid forward. And I'm a huge believer in spreading love and kindness and the power of that. So I feel like um, everything was just very fitting. So that's where the idea of One Day came. Love it. That's amazing. How how did you get the team together and to get them to commit and to, you know, decide, you know, hey, let's let's do this together. Um. So it all and it's it, I had been talking about this and it was just kind of a dream, right? It was just like never did I think it was gonna be legit. I was just like, this is my dream. Um, I want to build a nonprofit because I want to. I feel like my purpose in life is to help people. And I, that's why I want to build this nonprofit one day, but it was again, one day. So 
I brought over, I presented this project called Documentary, which is highlighting the stories of all the DACAs, um, all the dreamers, because I feel, we feel like everyone should have an opportunity and a platform to share their story um, and to have the at least the opportunity. Um, so that's where the, the series Documentary uh, or the idea of Documentary came from. And um, I introduced it to... Um, one of my friends and he was like, I love it. Come over. Let's talk about it. So we talked about it. He has the whole, um, like the equipment. He does videography and uh, photography. He's a uh, professional at it. So he has his own business. Um, he's like, I'll help you. Um, and he's a huge believer in spreading kindness in the world too. So we just had the same vision. So mm. that, that's where we started off with the projects, but it blew up. It completely blew up. And we realized that, there were so many people that wanted to share their stories and we're like, this is crazy. Why aren't, why do people not have this opportunity? We need to give them the opportunity. Um, so we just kind of started through there. We saw it blow up and people around us, um, the team that I have with me, I would say saw the same vision that I did. And they're, they're huge believers that, you know, we, we have to be a little bit less selfish and help others around us. And, they're passionate about human rights. They're huge advocate or advocates and um, activists, and um, they also have a passion for um, production and videography and all of that stuff. So um, we kind of just collabed, and we we kind of knew each other from time um, from a long time ago. So we just it just naturally like happened, and it's crazy because it's been what a week and a half, two weeks two weeks now and everything is like happening and it's going by so fast and we're learning from each other and we're trying to structure it right and make sure we're not missing anything. But um, we didn't think it was going to blow up as much as it did. Um, but it's, it's continuing to grow. And that just kind of shows the need for this platform, the need for, for, for doc is to, to share their story somehow. So that's, we're focusing right now on, um, on, on documentary, um, we're doing a little mini series so we can be um, giving that platform, but we are working also on creating a documentary, um, like an official video of everybody together. Not everybody, but, you know, a series of people together. Um, but in the meantime, we're doing little little series. Well, I love it, Nelly, and, and we'll definitely link that whole project to the show notes uh, for the episode. And uh, as an interviewer of you, I would be remiss not to, because there's this, this like question that's like burning right now. <laughs> what's, what's, Nelly, what's your like per personal one day? Like what, what, the, what is Nelly's one day? Has anyone asked you? Uh, yes. Um, I have been asked that question and it's just kind of hard to explain it because one day I, I, so I've always felt that God put me in this earth to make a difference by um, helping people. I am a true believer that I'm an instrument um, that I'm not really here to live my life, but I'm here to live my purpose and what he put me here for, because there's a lot of damaged people in the world. And I, I want to be there one day of hope. 
and faith. So I'm already, I feel like I'm already fulfilling that. And I think that my one day is finally coming right now with this one day of, of the organization one day. So, you know, everything else, like, yeah, their dreams and aspirations, like, but before all of that comes my purpose in life. And I feel like I'm already living that. That's amazing. So you get to live one day, many days. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah. I think that I see it in the littlest things. There's a lot of things that um, I, I, I've lived and I've seen that I've done in that God between God and I know, like, you know, the, the things that we're doing and the things that we're changing um, that I just, I'm a big believer that whatever your, your right hand does, your left hand doesn't have to know. So I don't really talk about these things, but I, I feel it. And that feeling of like, even if it's one person's life that I'm changing or one person's, um, feelings towards certain things, like I'm already doing that. So my one day was really to have that platform um, to change, like not change people's lives, but help people in this world. So that's where I'm living my one day. That's, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's, it's great because I've noticed it too. And I'm Nelly, I'm with you. I'm a believer that spreading love and positivity is the right thing to do. And it's crazy when you do that, the serendipity that's created, like it's like doors open that normally would have been closed and you know, you get these amazing signs that you're going down the right path. Um, and, and so I wanted to ask you, you know, maybe to help educate people. Uh, can you help define like asylum and, and, and what that means so that, you know, people that listen to this that don't understand, um, you know, the context there, uh, you know, with your experiences kind of, could you speak on that? Yeah, absolutely. So let's one thing, um, let's be clear, seeking asylum is legal. Seeking asylum is what um, is part of the process. So a lot of people have this, this concept or this understanding that like, when you apply for asylum, that you're like breaking laws, like, no, 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 no. Applying for asylum is totally legal. Um, So what happens is people technically, they um, they migrate to the front of the border of between Mexico and um, uh, Brownsville or not Brownsville, sorry, um, the U.S. So mm-hmm. they're at the border of U.S. and Mexico, and then they start applying for asylum. Um, what happens is they're given a court case once they apply for, for asylum. And they're once they're given a court, um, then after that, they're heard and they just, the court decides whether they're able to stay or leave. But what happens in between all that is that they're given a court date, but it's not until like two years later. And all these people Mm -hmm. are like, what am I supposed to do? I'm at this. I migrated all the way over here. I'm at the border and I have to wait a year, two years, like a lengthy amount of time um, for for my case to be heard. Um, And most of these people have gone or, you know, do get exposed to cartels in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, th- that's something you don't want to, you know, no, no parent wants to put their, their child through that, through the cartels. I had one guy tell me that they stripped him down and they told him like, if you don't give me what you have, I will kill your son. 
So it's either you give me what you have or your son. Um, and he was like, and that's all I had. Like I had a few little, a little bit of money and a little bit of jewelry and they took it all. And, or it was that or my son. So, you know, like the dangers that come from being at the border and being exposed to that. I mean, the cartel does charge every time you, somebody crosses, they, they charge, um, whether it's a little bit, whatever you have, they take it from you. Right. So it's very dangerous to be in the, in that position. Um, so, and then, you know, being in, in, through all of that and being exposed to that and still being around that plus, um, you know, hunger hits all these different issues hit and you're not given a court day until years from now, months from now. So that's where desperation comes and people start to take that, um, leap of faith and just cross the border. And majority of the time they do get caught and they're put into ice. So then they're put into ice, they're put there for a few days, they go through the whole process, and then they're released. They are released. Um, They're given an alien number um, in the meantime. But what happens most of the time is that these people, um, after they've been released, they wait for their court case. And then once they go to the court case, they get deported. So it's like they waited this whole time. They they applied for asylum. They did what they had to do. (laughs) They ended up in desperation. Um, they waited the time they had to, and then they hear their, the court hears their cases and then they get deported back. So because of that being going on, because that happens a lot, people get scared and people start not going to their courts, um, their court cases, and they just rather not even take the risk because they know most people get deported back. So that's how a lot of, uh, people end up being undocumented too. Yeah, and it's not fair to be in limbo like that. And, yeah, and, and yeah. I know you described the conditions, and so you know, really appreciate that. And um, Nelly, let's talk about the future. You know, and what, what, where do you, where do you see yourself in ten years? What do you want to do? Uh, you know, life is constantly changing. It's it's so you know. At first, I I wanted to work for a firm. Um, an international firm that could let me travel um, and, or b- by doing sales or any something related to like business and um, traveling for work. And I, right now where I work is actually an international business. Uh, we do ink for, for like Coca-Cola or Pepsi and um, you know, Chick-fil-A, anything that you can think of, Yo Plate, all of those things, like the label, the ink that goes into your label is our ink. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. My bosses are never in the office because they're always traveling either. Um, and my, I have I work for the international department, so I do um, international accounts. And my boss is always like in South America. And then my other boss is like traveling all over the U.S. So it's pretty cool. It's a cool process. So I, is that something where I did see myself? And now that I'm here, I'm discovering another passion of mine, which is human rights and mm-hmm. advocacy. So it's, 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 life is constantly giving you surprises. So I could say, yeah, so I could say I can want one thing and then life will surprise me. So, I mean, I'm already, I can say I'm already fulfilling my dreams, but with this nonprofit and following what God wanted me to do. And I think that whatever is given to me at this point is just an extra. Nelly, um, I know today was a big, um, big day for all of the all of the DACA recipients. 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you felt dur- during, I mean, this like past week, you know, I bet the nerves were killing you just like knowing like what was going to happen with your future or not. Um, how did you feel about, you know, the decision that was made today? Um, it was definitely, I cried the first, okay. The first thing I did when Trump, when I found out Trump was taken away, I bawled. And then now I bawled the same way. Cause it was just mm-hmm. was telling, um, when I did the interview about three years ago with Richmond times, um, at right after they had told that Trump had canceled the program, um, I, I remember every feeling I was doing, like, every, everything I was going through and everything I was feeling in that time. And I was telling him, like, it's crazy how three years ago I was crying because I had, I had lost faith once again. And here we are three years later in a whole different position. People now know DACA. And once again, the ship, that little trip of like going from no hope to all hope was like a restart again. Um, so today when I, I saw that, I, I felt so many emotions. I felt overwhelmed with pride of the hard work we have put every single day, not only for DACA, uh, the fight for DACA to continue, but in our personal lives. You know, yeah. we go through our own personal struggles. So we've been in this fight every single day. So having that victory was just kind of like, oh, I can breathe now. Um, so I felt like so, and, and so proud, so proud of like everything we've, we've accomplished as, as a nation, as DACA, like from going from no one knowing us to now, like oh, the whole nation knows who DACA is. Um, and that's, that's, that's something to be proud of, not only, you know, personally, but be proud of our fellow dreamers as well, because we're in this together. Um, so I felt a lot of, of pride. I felt safe um i felt like i was protected again so it was a huge like weight off our shoulders um a lot of anxiety had been built up and i think that all dreamers felt that way like the anxiety built up like what what's gonna happen um and it's it was this decision was kind of like we don't know where what way was gonna go it was so unpredictable um so hearing about it it was just it was so many emotions um and then it was more more so hope to uh, once again like hope is just a huge thing for me yeah Um, but you know like the fight doesn't stop here it's just beginning because we now we got a whole team and a whole nation on our side that they know who we are we know they know who we are as dreamers so now it's let's fight for for citizenship the citizenship that we deserve so Although this was a huge victory, there's still more to come, and there's still yeah, more. To go. So yeah, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, so like, um, it was a lot of feelings, good, good feelings, but it was definitely a motivation. I wish we could party. Right? I was like, <laughs> I'm like, man, I want to go party. This is great. Yeah, I was like thinking that, like, oh my god, I want to go like take some shots somewhere and like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had the same thought. I was like, man, this weekend's going to be great. Oh, wait. It's going to be a solo party. <laughs> yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, obviously, like, this was definitely a, you know, a big win for us. But, you know, it's only a temporary victory for right now. You know, we're, you know, we want something permanent. We don't want to keep, you know, 
we don't want to we don't want this fear to keep coming back and saying oh you know because there is still a possibility that the trump administration you know they're they might find another way to you know say that this is not right or whatever and you know we need to find a way that um for us to be able to stick together and you know make sure that you know you know every one of those dreamers gets the pathway to residency which hopefully will lead to citizenship citizenship soon um, and that's what we're fighting for. That's what, that's why we're that's why you're doing the one day, and that's why we're doing this podcast to bring more awareness. Absolutely, and it's important for us to stick together too. Yes. And on that note, we wanted to share a uh, tweet with you um, because it's really relevant. And um, Dana is going to share it with you. I, I think you're you're going to love it. Um, uh, so, you know, basically it's Joe Biden. He's talking about wh- how one day, you know, he, he's going to, you know, make it happen for the dreamers. And obviously, you know, he'll say this and it's politics and stuff. But, you know, I, I don't know, just reading that tweet, I think it just made me think of your project and, and your your efforts. Yeah, we OK. I kind of. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to admit, I kind of read this a little bit too fast. And for a second, I thought it said one day. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like this goes with her theme. But I just I just reread it right now. And I was like, oh, dang, it says on day one. I don't know if you saw, but Joe Biden tweeted, um, here's my promise to you on day one, which I thought said one day. We were I'll so send, excited. <laughs> I'll send a bill to Congress that creates a clear roadmap to citizenship for dreamers and 11 million undocumented people who are already stra- straightening our nation it's long overdue, but I mean, hopefully, you know, we need to see action. So we hope that one day we get, we have someone on our side that's going to fight for us and, you know, take us to that path of residency. Yes. Have you noticed how we use that phrase without really noticing? 100%. Yeah. I use it all the time. Like, yeah, one day I'll do that. Or yeah, one day I'll Take out the trash or something. <laughs> you know what I love about it, Nelly? Yeah? I, I love that it like almost counteracts uh, procrastination. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. There's you a life lesson there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of deepness there. I appreciate it. You seem like a really deep person. And so, uh, you know, with that, we really, really appreciate talking to you. And, and I can't wait for people to hear this. I think people are going to get a lot of inspiration from this, Nelly. And and shout out to your team too. I'm glad they're there. That's that's support. That's shout respect. Out to my team. Yeah. Right Just take shots with them. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much also for giving me the time and the opportunity to be here and, and share my story. It's an honor. 